We've realized over the past couple of weeks that crafting a teaching together is a little bit like wallpapering a small bathroom together. It, uh, it's a little messy and it's really hard work, but hopefully, you know, it comes together in the end and you have something worthwhile. So today we're just going to share a little bit of our journey, of our story, um, about how we've learned to live in family without fear, to live ruled by love. So we're going to get started and, um, I'm, Settling into a new staff role here at Orchard, I've I've worked at Orchard around 10 years, and uh, the first big chunk, about eight or nine years, was in college ministry, and now I'm transitioning into this new role where we're trying to heat up, just raise the temperature on relationships around here, on belonging and community, figuring out how to help people take those next steps towards Jesus in community. Uh, Sean and I just celebrated our 24th wedding anniversary, so look at the... Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Look at the shoulder pads on that wedding dress. That is something else. Uh, We have six children and four grandchildren. Our daughter Ellie and her husband Luke, they just had their first baby December 16th. Her name is Etta. Yeah. And we are just having a blast getting to know her. Yeah, go ahead and stare at that a little while because it kind of melts my heart a little bit. Uh, I am Sean, obviously, because this is Carla. That's how we work this out. Um, i got to be honest with you. I'm incredibly nervous. This is a lot of people. I'd rather be where Walston is playing the guitar. A lot, of, lot safer for me. Um, I'm a parole officer with the Department of Corrections. have been for 24 years. Uh, I've been a high school football coach, and I'm a girls' soccer coach. Uh, probably my most important role, though, I feel, is as a husband, as a dad, and as a friend to some people. Uh, so family without fear. This is the last week of the series. You've heard some great uh, messages from Chuck and Alice and Brian and Giselle and Dave and Emily, all um, how they are learning to just move through life, through relationships, through different family arrangements, through tragedy and celebration and struggling to figure things out, what this looks like to just be a people that aren't ruled by fear. So each week, the uh, teachers are really highlighting these five truths about this series, and we're just going to unpack those really quick. Yeah, uh, the first one is there are real reasons to fear when it comes to a family. There are tons of reasons to have some fear. I've got a list. I'm guessing you probably have a list. Uh, maybe my marriage won't work out, or my kids will make a choice that will ruin the rest of their life or change the rest of their life. Um, fear of, you know, is this all life is? Isn't it get any better than this? Um, broken relationships. Uh, a personal fear for me is that you'll see I cry during worship. I don't, don't look at that. But the beautiful thing is that God does not want us to be ruled by fear. The Bible says this over and over again. He says, fear not, be people of courage. Now, there's a big, huge difference between feeling fear, recognizing it, which is super normal, and being ruled by it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of my favorites is that God has given this, us this really beautiful gift and an encouragement in the form of the Holy Spirit. And Second Timothy one seven says, For the Spirit God has given us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And that's a really good promise to hold on to. The fourth is this. In our families, we steward ourselves. And steward is a big church word, but for me it just means... Steward means using well what God has given me. So in our families, we need to steward ourselves well. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to think about what other people should do, what your spouse should do, or your teenage kids should do, or your mother-in-law should do? 
But we really find that we can steward our influence in our family really well, partly because of that promise that God's given us, that he doesn't make us timid, but he gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And the fifth one is this. There is power and courage to be found in community. Our families aren't meant to live isolated from each other. When we are courageous enough to seek community around us, we get, um, we get courage and power. We're better together, like Jeff was talking about earlier. So every week we've hit upon these five truths. And Sean and I have our own story of how we kind of moved from being ruled by fear, living in fear, to learning over a process of time to be ruled by love. So I'm going to start and just give you a little snapshot of my very early days. So I grew up in the Cedar Valley. I had an older brother and two parents that just absolutely loved me. I had a really great childhood. But when I was a senior in high school, I found out I was pregnant. And I went from planning a trip to Europe with my friends after graduation to trying to wrap my head around what it would mean to be a teen mom in the late 1980s. I remember thinking, Carla, you are responsible for this situation. You need to figure this out. You need to make this work. Your life is no longer about you. I thought I had ruined everything forever for everyone. I was 18 years old. And I remember thinking this baby didn't have a choice. He didn't have any control over being born to a teen mom. And the statistics weren't great about how that would play out for him. Can you hear the fear? Have you ever felt like a decision you made had consequences that you couldn't control and caused a lot of pain, so much pain that maybe you couldn't see the way forward? That's where I was. What I didn't know is it was about to get scarier. Uh, Nick was born and he was absolutely beautiful. But he couldn't feed well. He couldn't really move his arms or legs. He needed to help to maintain his body temperature. He would need a physical therapy to meet some really basic milestones like holding his head up and rolling over. And I started to tell myself, as long as it's only a physical disability, I can do this. As long as it isn't a mental disability, we'll be okay. We can have a good life. We can make it work. And then at an appointment when Nick was about two years old at a doctor appointment, uh, The doctor sat down, and I knew something wasn't good, and he said, we're pretty sure that Nick has Prader-Willi syndrome. And I'd never heard that before. And he, I said, what, I don't have no idea what that means. And he said, Nick will be mentally retarded. He will never drive. He will never live on his own. He'll never get married. He probably won't be able to hold a competitive job in the community, and he will need constant supervision his entire life. So my world absolutely turned upside down. And on the outside... I held it together. I kept my chin up. But on the inside, my worst fear, one of my worst fears had come true. And I really lost my footing. And I held it together. I looked good on the outside, but I started looking for ways to escape the fear and the shame. And I wonder if any of you have ever felt this way. Well, I grew up with a single mom until I was five when she married. Um, Throughout that whole time, sports were really my life. Uh, School was super easy. But at home... My mom and stepdad's relationship was really rocky. They yelled a lot at each other, or they had periods of not talking to each other. Um, Just a lot of passive-aggressive things going on, arguing constantly. So I was really fearful that marriage is not a good thing, and it's not something that gives any kind of life to either person. Fortunately, though, I had grandparents, a set of grandparents that were amazing. been married 70 years. Um, It was built on caring for each other, supporting each other, loving each other. Um, 
and actually laughing and liking each other, which is a concept in marriage. So that gave me hope that marriage, a good marriage, is really a possible thing. So I went on, I graduated from college, but I was incredibly disappointed in myself. College football had not gone the way I wanted it to, and I began believing this lie that I'm just not good enough. So, of course, that's when Sean and I met. Uh, Nick was three years old. Uh, both of us were struggling. On the outside, we looked good, but on the inside, we were looking for ways to um, to deal with feeling kind of lost and overwhelmed and seeking comfort and escape and things that weren't good for us. And this is where it really gets cool because I believe, we believe, that this is where God just reached down into the mud and pulled us out together. And I wonder if maybe he thought it would be easier to work on us together than apart, kind of like a two-for-one deal. Yeah. Yeah. And we have six kids, so bargains are a good thing. We like two-for-ones, three-for-ones free. Uh, Some people know how that feels. Um, But when we met right away, Carla was not afraid to say, I have a son, which is kind of an odd way to introduce yourself. Um, But the red flags just flew in right away. Well, first of all, I don't want to get married. And secondly, I sure don't want to marry a ready-made family. But... There was something that was just kind of pushing us together. Um, she had mentioned that she had been in small groups at Orchard Hill, and I had been in small groups when I was in high school at Orchard Hill. So how it comes out is I was really fearful of marriage, apprehensive. I was kind of a little bit of a mess. So we decided, let's get married and see how that works out. Yeah. So um, I think we have, there's Nick and I at our wedding. So a lot of the predictions about Nick's life were true and continue to be true, but he is a fantastic person. That's him at Christmas time. He's a fantastic person. He's hilarious. He um, is a reader and a writer. He uh, needs a lot of supervision, but things are going okay. If I knew then what I knew now, I wouldn't have been as afraid. So, Sean, I remember a serious conversation we had very early in marriage. I actually remember where we were standing, and uh, we were starting to realize that marriage is really intense. And we knew we needed some role models, and we wanted our marriage to last, and we wanted to have some fun along the way. So we really intentionally started looking around Orchard Hill for some people to watch in marriage. So some of you don't even know that we were really watching you (laughs) and learning from you. And uh, it was one of the most powerful things, I think, that we can look back on and see that it it had a dramatic impact on our life. We watched people, and it appeared that they had been married for a long time. And most of the time, it seemed like they liked each other. And that was something we so desperately, desperately wanted. And we've learned so much from people who are ahead of us in their marriage. And then when we were able to find a group of our peers that were kind of, you know, different stages of marriage to watch and to learn from, the power in that and the courage in that is really undeniable. Right. But I think we both want to stress that we don't have this all figured out. what we're giving you here is our greatest hits album. So no, we've had a, had a, had a few flops in there too. Um, but we've learned some things. Uh, we're a work in progress. Yeah, and really, Sean and I were talking about this, and when it comes down to it, we actually believe that God just told, to, just decided to like unusually bless our marriage. There are a lot of reasons our marriage um, shouldn't have worked out, and we. We also know that many of you have prayed really hard for your marriages and worked like crazy to make your marriages work, and it hasn't worked out. And we just know and recognize how incredibly painful that is. Uh, we're also going to give some examples from our life of how we family without fear. And we just want to say that if you are not safe in your relationships or in your marriage, 
if you're not safe, some of this stuff may not work for you, and some of it may actually be dangerous. So we just really encourage you that if you're not safe in your relationships, that you get some help, that you seek out someone from the church, and we can help you find resources in the community. And if you're hurting someone in your marriage or in your relationships, we, we just want you to stop. We want you to seek help because the church can help you find some resources to move forward. And it takes a lot of courage to ask for help, but there's power and courage to be found in community. Right. And we want to make sure that you understand this applies to any relationship. It doesn't matter if you're a second grader getting your first Bible, if you're a teenager who's not sure you like your parents, uh, if you're married, unmarried, uh, whatever. It doesn't matter. Even if you never want to get married, this stuff will work. So just listen for little pieces in there. Um, And as Carla and I were talking about this uh, over the last few weeks, I've been thinking about this T-ear coaching thing I've used for the last 20 years. I have no idea where I heard it. I heard it somewhere a long time ago, um, and I've used it, and I hope it's helpful. And it's called SACRAT, okay? It's kind of weird. Stance, alignment, key, read, attitude, technique. Now, we didn't set out when we got married and say, oh, let's live by SACRAT. Who knows what it is? But we look back over our lives, and it's kind of become evident that this is how our, our marriage and our family has progressed. It's also eerily similar to a guy named Nick Saban, if you know who he is. He's the coach at Alabama. He says this kind of stuff in virtually every interview he says about coaching. He says, don't think about the national championship. Think about what you need to do in this drill, on this play, in this moment. That's the process. Let's think about what you can do today, the task at hand. Now let me reread that this way. Don't think about the national championship. Don't focus on preventing a failed marriage or don't focus on having a great marriage. Think about what you need to do in this drill, on this play, in this moment. That's the process. Think about what you can do today, the task at hand. What can you do today to live in your family without fear? Now, this guy has coached teams to five national championships. I think he has a pretty good idea what he's talking about. So we're going to jump in and I'm going to fly over some of this stuff. Um, so we start off with stance. Now, in, in, in sports, there's a stance. It's your base. It's your foundation. Uh, football, you want a good wide base, feet shoulder width apart, on your toes a little bit, head up, back straight, so you can have a good stable base so that when you deliver a blow or you get hit, you don't get knocked off. So a long time in my life, my foundation was based on accomplishment. I learned early on that any of my personal self-worth was based on how I performed. Now, a few years ago, I took the journey class. Some of you know that uh, class from here. And this question kept nagging me over and over in that. And it was, when God thinks of you, Sean, what does he see? Well, over and over again, I told myself he sees a failure. He sees someone who's inadequate, a disappointment, someone who could do so much better than he has. But over the course of that class, it became obvious to me that God thinks of me. When he thinks of me, he loves me. Unconditionally, without any reservation. That became a powerful place to base my life. That became my foundation. I learned that God doesn't see me as a disappointment, as a sum of all my mistakes past and future. He sees me as a handsome, burly, lumberjack child. Okay? (laughs) He loves like crazy. And I'm telling you, 1 John 4.10 says this, This is love, not that we loved God, not that I loved God, but that he loved me, he loved us, and sent his son as a sacrifice. When God thinks about me, when he thinks about all of us, he smiles. I can base my life on that. That's my foundation, my base. 
Have you ever pondered what your foundation is? And can you ever just let God love you? So we had stance, we have alignment. And if you're in the right stance, you want to line up in the right spot. So you can position yourself that you can move eventually to the right spot. If you line up in the wrong spot, you're going to end up going the wrong way. Or you have to fight to get back into the flow of things. Yeah, I think we figured out the alignment that worked for our marriage when we had four kids under six years old. Uh, And we realized that the right position for us was just standing shoulder to shoulder. (laughs) And when we stood shoulder to shoulder and we looked out at the sometimes overwhelming needs and demands of our growing family, uh, that was was how we were able to look at what needed to get done and get it done. It didn't matter for us so much who did what task, but that we were just beside each other uh, figuring out how we were going to get it done. Yeah, and that actually, as your kids become teenagers, that becomes even more important. Um, And sometimes, you know, love lines up biblically for me. I know when I'm out of alignment. I know. I can feel it. But 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I know when I'm not lined up that way, things are going bad. So we've had stance, we've had alignment, now we have key. In football, what I teach players in soccer as well, you key on that helmet of the guy right in front of you. He's going to tell you your first step. All right? It eliminates all this clutter going on. You focus down to that one helmet. So in, how is that important in our lives? Is it the people in front of me or is it the stuff going on? You know, I have twin 17-year-old daughters. Um, one of them is a vegetarian. I'm a meat eater. This is where I have to key into the right things, you see. If my focus is on me, my likes, my passions, what I do and don't want to do, or do I see her? You see, when I focus on on me, I constantly try to talk her out of being a vegetarian. Oh, you should have this. You need the protein. I do that whole thing over and over again. Or I try to convince her, honestly, that steak is good. Ribs are good, and brisket is very good. But it's not about me. If I key into it, it's not about me. When I remember it's about Anna, when I key in on her helmet, I see Anna as someone who's unique. All the other stuff going on gets eliminated. And this incredibly cool thing happens. I start to feel grateful for her. Grateful that she's passionate and committed to things that are important to her. You see, in football, the key really is seek and destroy. That's kind of the idea. But in our relationships, it's about seeing and enjoying. Even when I think Anna needs prime rib. Even when. So where's your focus? Is it on the distractions? Is it on yourself? Or is it on the people in your life? And as you key, you learn to, which is our next step, read. uh, Which in football, read is read what's going on. In football, I've seen this play so many times and practiced it so many times that my response becomes automatic. I just react in the way I've been trained. Yeah, so in life, we uh, need to train in such a way that we begin to respond to the events of life with love. And responding in love takes an incredible amount of training. Uh, For us, it often takes the form of learning to take the emotion out of like a crisis or take the emotion out of a situation or take the emotion out of a conflict. And a lot of times it seems to revolve around cars. And car issues. Yeah, we have we have five drivers in our house presently, um, and five cars. Now five old cars. 
really old cars. Um, and three of our drivers are teenagers. Some of you know that fear. It requires a lot of reading and reacting. So picture yourself, five old cars, three teens. Okay? It means stuff's going to happen. It really does. Just even actually the last three weeks this has happened. I get a call. Dad, and I know that sound, the car won't start. Dad, the oil light is on. Dad, I just smashed someone at a stop sign. Dad, I left the lights on or the key on or blah, 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 the car won't start. This week, in fact, the, Dad, the heat won't work. The next day, Dad, the car overheated three times on the way to church. <laughs> and this is my favorite. Some of you have seen this commercial where you get the phone call. I'm like, hello? Uh, Dad, why is the car making a sound? Some of you know that commercial where it's like, I have no idea. And if Sean hasn't rehearsed these moments ahead of time, he will say something that he will regret. But when he has rehearsed, when he's prepared, when he's trained himself to respond in love, he really communicates to us that he loves us, that he's there for us, that he's not going to you know, go off or go ballistic. And I bet if you guys stop and think, you can think of some things that tend to cycle around in your life that you um, read and maybe don't react the way you want to. And what would it look like to anticipate those things and begin to train yourself to respond in love? Uh, it can really change things. Right. And we've both made bad uh, reads, said some things that we wish we wouldn't have. This is true. And that's, you've got to think ahead. Um, so we've had stance, alignment, key, read, and attitude. Attitude is the next one. In football, this is, this is a huge thing. In families, it's a really huge thing, too. Um, teenage attitudes, parent attitudes. Um, but in coaching, it's really, are you willing to listen? Are you willing to train? Are you willing to put forth an effort? Attitude is a choice, you see. It doesn't require talent at all. You can have a good attitude. It's a choice. Everything you do, everything you have... Everything you become is ultimately the result of your choice about your attitude. Your choice about your attitude. Yeah, this, I just think this is one of the hugest truths in life. And I love the way it um, keys into that Second Timothy verse that we haven't been given a spirit of timidity but of power and love. So in our family, especially when our kids were little and attitudes would start to <laughs> slip a little bit, we would actually say, okay, stop. Change your attitude, change your underwear. And then we would really make everyone pretend like they were changing yep. their underwear. It's true. It's true. But it did a few things. It made them laugh. It was silly and it made them laugh. And it distracted us from what was going on long enough that we could just try to start over. And uh, it, it worked a lot of the time. Another thing that Sean and I have done uh, throughout our marriage is we will just, like, maybe things are heating up a little bit. And we look at each other and just say, okay. The grown-ups have to be the grown-ups. And uh, we remind each other that we are the only ones in our family who can have a grown-up attitude. Like, we can't expect our kids to have a grown-up attitude. We can't expect our teenagers to have a grown-up attitude. We can shine a light on a bad attitude, and we can model a good attitude, but we are the only people who can be the grown-ups in our family. And this actually can be a little scary. And it's, it's a little frightening sometimes how much influence we actually have in this area. How many of you can remember your kids saying or doing something that kind of shocked you, and then you realize they learned it from you? It happens to all of us all the time. 
So when we take our attitude seriously, this is when we're able to steward our influence in our families really well. We can take responsibility for it. And God knows that it's hard, and that's why he makes us that really amazing promise in 2 Timothy. For God did not give us a spirit spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. That's a really good promise to hold on to. Right. So we've had stance, alignment, key read, attitude, and lastly is technique in the SACRAP model. And this is the drills. This is the movements, the repetition, practicing something over and over again. It's the small things over and over again that lead to a good result. It's the training. Yeah. So for Sean and I, we, we talked about it, and we really we realized that if we're talking about everyday, in-the-moment kinds of things, the technique, it's just figuring out how to communicate that we're for each other. So Sean does this for me in a lot of ways. Uh, We live on the river, and one of my strongest pathways to God is to be out in nature. So in the summer, Sean will take the boat, we'll go across the river, he'll help me hang my hammock up so that it's actually suspended over the river. And he doesn't really like it because the river's moving and we're trying to get the hammock up, but he does it for me because he knows it's one of the ways that I really connect with God. Or he'll put my kayak in the John boat and go way, way, way up river with me and drop me off so I can just explore the creeks in the backwater and just have some time in solitude with God, which is really powerful. Um, Another way that Sean communicated that he was for me was uh, even though it felt like jamming an ice pick into his eye, he uh, decided to join a small group. (laughs) And uh, that was a really, really big deal because he really didn't want to do it. Yeah, I really didn't. And one of the ways that Carla actually is for me is she told me that it would be a real good idea to be in a small group. Um, and that, yeah, that ice pick was painful. However, over the last 20 years, that has been really my life. Um, those people are amazing to me, uh, and they've been there good times, bad times. Um, another way, Carla sometimes in public will kind of just put her hand on my shoulder, and it just, it kind of soothes me, and just that I know she's there for me. Um, back when we had really little kids, um, Carla would take all of them, to football games when I was coaching. Now, that's a big job, and it's a lot of work, and it's sometimes a lot of money with snacks and such, but <laughs> she was good. Um, and the last, one of the major ways is sometimes I freak out a little bit. I get a little in my head and start talking, and uh, when I freak out, sometimes I have really bad ideas, and sometimes I have really good ideas. Um, but she listens, and she reassures me that I'm good enough. It's going to be okay. So that's what SACRAT is. I know it's a lot of stuff. It's in your bulletin, I think, as well. Um, stance, alignment, key, read, attitude, technique. Now, we've shown you a few ways of how we use that in our life. I'm sure there's some examples in your life. If you really look back at it, you can say, oh, yeah, that's kind of what we're doing um, and how it might look in your life. But here's our last point, And, again, it's a sports analogy, so just roll with it. Um, sometimes... You try to practice on your own, and it doesn't work. And that's the key, is you cannot practice on your own. You have to have a team, because the team drives you. The team is younger than you, older than you, the same age as you. They're pushing you. They're supporting you. They're encouraging you. They're energizing you. Um, They count on each other. They laugh and cry together. The team is a church. The team is a team of second graders. The team is Route 55. The team is men's fraternity. The other night had 60-plus guys. That is a team. The team is a small group. you got to have a team. I really believe that. Do you have a team? If you do, great. Make sure you know who's on your team. 
if you don't, find some teammates. It's vital. You have to be vulnerable enough to find your teammates. Yeah, because the truth is, we just can't do it alone. And we are so much better together. The mission of Orchard Hill Church is to help next generations encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. And when Sean and I look back over our story, we saw that mission at play um, for the past 24 years when we could look around and find some people that we could watch and learn from, when we got in a group of our peers that could um, help us through the really, really hard days, when you're not sure what uh, tomorrow looks like, and to celebrate the great and joyous days when everything's going great. Um, because the truth is there is power and courage to be found in community. So we just encourage you to um, take that risk, to shake a hand, to introduce yourself to someone, uh, to make this team actually work in a way that we are healthy enough and strong enough that we can then not just look at our own life, but we can put our head up and look at the people around us. So that's our encouragement. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, sometimes it is hard when we just, we sang songs earlier about how great you are. And we think about the fact that you, uh, just through your, voice created the world and everything in it, that you hold all things together, that you have this this sweeping plan to bring every person into a restored and reconciled relationship through your son Jesus. And that plan is so huge and worldwide and has been going on for thousands of years and will continue forever that it's hard for us sometimes to remember that you also know us completely, that you look at us and you see us and you smile that you give us the spirit of power and love and courage and self-discipline. God, thank you for being that kind of a God, that you're intimately knowledgeable of uh, every one of our ways, of the things that we struggle with, the things uh, that, that we've kind of figured out, how to love and how to follow you. And God, we pray that you would help us to take your mission seriously, that you would help us to connect to each other, that you would help us to encourage each other and hold each other up, and that you would help us to uh, somehow shine your light in a brighter way tomorrow than we do today. Thank you that we're able to gather here together uh, freely without fear, that we're able to worship you. God, as we enter now into this next session of worship, Would you help us to just really pause and think about your power? Think about your character and then just pour out our gratitude to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.